0: The humble penny really quite encapsulates a lot about who I am and where I've come from and where I'm at at the moment. And it it tells a story of starting from small beginnings, but really daring to create a life that is extraordinary, a life that isn't really dominated by how other people think and how other people do things, but really built on self-awareness and built on values, you know, really being built on what I think truly matters and what I prioritise and and use that to be what leads my actions and leads what I do with my money and how I spend my time and that kind of stuff. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode
1: of Stories That Shape Us. I'm your podcast host, Samuel Agnade. And today we have with us Ken okorua Ken and his wife, Mary, are the founders of The Humble Penny. And their goal is to help others achieve financial independence and create financial joy in their lives. But they don't just talk about these things, they actually live their lives. So for example, at the age of 34, they both became financially independent. And uh, they recently wrote a book, which we'll talk about very, very shortly. Uh, But they've also helped, I think, about 3 million people uh, to find more financial joy and structure in their lives. So without further ado, um, Ken, thank you so much for coming on. How
0: are you doing today? I am awesome, man. I feel good. I'm really honored to be on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Thanks for coming
0: on. Ken, um, as I
1: mentioned earlier, we usually start with five rapid fire questions and you have five seconds to to answer each question. How how do you feel about that, first of all? Yeah,
0: come on, man. Let's
1: do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Question one. What is your favorite book?
0: Okay, this is self-promo, but my favorite book by far has to be our book titled "Financial Joy," which is since be should be published by the time you're actually actually re- listening to this. Okay, and what's this financial joy about? Uh, it's a ten-week plan uh, that will help you turn your life around from small beginnings and achieve and work towards achieving financial freedom, but whilst prioritizing fun and well-being on that
1: journey. I, I, so I think this would be quite similar to some of the courses you've had, because I remember there was, I think, a 52-week plan as well that you had a newsletter on, and I, I subscribed to that That was that was really uh, insightful. Yeah. So yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd recommend. Um, yeah. Uh, check, the, check the show notes, we'll, we'll plug um, these this links there. So that's your favorite book, Financial Joy. Absolutely. Next question, yeah. if you could have dinner with three inspiring leaders, you know that?
0: What leaders would you choose, and why? Wow, well, uh, I'd definitely say I'd love to have dinner with Oprah Winfrey, uh, just because I just I just love her journey and her the tenacity that's brought her to where where she is. Um, I'd love to have dinner with Stephen Stephen, who runs the Diary of a CEO podcast, because uh, I just think. I just think his, I just think his his journey's been pretty phenomenal.
1: Hmm.
0: And he does great work. Um, and a third person, let me see. And this is could this be anyone in history or somebody yeah. alive? Yes. anyone in, in history. Wow, okay. Uh, I'd probably say I'd want to have dinner definitely with Barack Obama. Hmm. Uh, just beca- and, and his wife, Michelle. Just because I I'm very curious about their, their 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 marriage really and their journey as a couple and raising children and and absolutely it'll be my wife and I actually sitting with them to have that chat so so yeah those would be my people. Yeah, so Oprah Winfrey,
1: Stephen Bartlett, and Barack and Michelle Obama. Yes. Technically that's four, but I'll leave you past.
0: I'll
1: let you past. Okay, question three. Uh where is your favorite
0: holiday destination? Oh, without a doubt, I loved going to Zanzibar in Tanzania. Okay. And why? What about Zanzibar? I mean, you know, I think it's I just think it's a very beautiful place, a beautiful part of the world. Um, and my wife and I, when we met, it was the very one of the very first places we went together and it just holds a special
1: significance basically okay so yeah Z- zanzibar Two more questions how are you finding this by the way should i up oh. my game is it simple is it easy okay question four um feel free to take a few more seconds here to, to think about this that's sure. absolutely fine um question four name three people who have had a huge impact on your life story people that have contributed okay. to you know ken becoming ken today
0: okay the people are uh, first, my parents, without a doubt. I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here without my my parents and the journey and learning from them, watching them overcome so many things to get to where they are today. Second, without a doubt, is my incredible wife, Mary. Um, oh, I know wow. that the last uh, 15, ten to fifteen years of my life wouldn't be the same if she if we hadn't met and we if we hadn't gone on this journey together. And I'd say the third one really, cause I'm a faith driven person, I'd say it's God because, you know, for me, I know this is not a very popular topic for lots of people, but for me personally, I wouldn't be where I am at all without kind of God laying plans for my life and, mm. and laying plans for the life that I haven't even seen yet. So for me, yeah, that will be my, that will be the third. But really, it's, it's, if I
1: had to put in order, it'd be the first one. Right, okay. So, God, your parents, and Mary. Mm-hmm. We we'll unpack, would we'll unpack this um, in, the, in the questions for the podcast itself. Yeah. Final question, um, and, and again, feel free to, to take some time to you know, think about this. If your life was a book, like, so, if your life experiences um, all you've been through and uh, your successes, mm-hmm. triumphs, and trials, what would its title be?
0: <laughs> oh gosh! Um, do you know what? Oh wow! I mean, that is—that's a really difficult question. It's the right really question, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what? I—I I, you know, if I had to just pick something,
1: mm-hmm. I'd
0: say the title, "The Humble Penny," really quite encapsulate a lot about who I am and where I've come from and and where I'm at at the moment. Um, and it, it tells a story of starting from small beginnings, but really daring to create a life that is extraordinary, a life mm. that isn't really dominated by how other people think and how other people do things, but really built on self-awareness and built on values. You know, really being built on what I think truly matters and what I prioritize, and and use that to be what leads my actions and leads what I do with my money and how I spend my time and that kind of stuff. So I've just picked that because it's it's a title I'm fully aware of and a title that's been a part of my life for a long time. Um, but yeah. that's Where did that come from in the first place, the humble penny? How did you come up with that phrase? Yeah, so the humble penny came because Mary and I were, in 2017, we were brainstorming names for something that would become what it is today, but we didn't know what it would become. We wanted to create a a platform where we shared something about our experiences as as an immigrant couple living in London, who were pursuing uh, this journey of becoming financially independent and had been doing that for some time, but doing it with children. But it wasn't really a platform like this. We started brainstorming and I said to Mary, I wanted something that, you know, um, I remember doing an essay. I did like a, a presentation story uh, when I did my MBA and uh, the presentation was you had to choose one word and 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 explain why how that word relates to your life and your journey. The word I chose was the word humble. So mm-hmm. when Mary and I were brainstorming, I said to her, I wanted something with this word because I think this word really almost speaks to our identity in a big way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll brainstorm. We wanted to do something to do with money and so on. And as we're brainstorming, she said, "Oh, what about humble penny?" And I was like, "Oh, that's interesting. Let's look it up." And we looked it up, and um, it was available to buy (laughs) (laughs) for (laughs) ninety nine p. And I was like, "Yeah, this is the (laughs) one. It's memorable. The humble penny, yeah." And it kind of tells the story. So that's how that's how it started. Wow! And and
1: when was this? Um, How how far ago was this? Twenty seventeen. 2017, yeah. six years. Yeah. And now you've gone on from that to you know grow up a great YouTube channel where you teach financial education and literacy to many people. You've been yeah. to number ten. Um, I, I saw that post yeah. on, on LinkedIn <laughs> a few years ago. You've written your book and um, you've spoken yeah. at places all over the world, from universities yeah. to you know um, organizations. But l- let's go back to you know part of your beginnings and your upbringing. Sure. You mentioned your parents has been um, very. Influential in terms of your life story, could you walk us through? You know, Ken as a child, maybe from when you're like eight or ten, and how did your upbringing and lessons you learned from your background shape you into the Ken that you are today?
0: So I I grew up in Nigeria mm-hmm. and we moved around a lot. Whether it's that we're moving from the East in Imo State to Lagos State and mm-hmm. all of that. And I went to school in Nigeria, obviously, and all that moving was very interesting for me because I had to adjust quite quickly. So I had to always Mm. adjust to a new school or, you know, and my parents were moving for economic reasons. They were moving because of a better job and, you know, better opportunities, trying to find their way, really. Um, But I think thinking about to my journey, my, my, I think my real, identity really started forming when I was in secondary school and I started right. secondary school and I had to go to boarding school in Lagos, a school called King's college. Oh. And yeah. 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 So I think my identity began forming there because for the first time ever, I was left alone to fend for myself and find my own way amongst other boys at school. Um, and I had to really identify who I needed to hang around with to survive, who I should really avoid, like how I should operate as an individual. um, Like how do I, you know, and I identified in that space that being smart actually took you places, like you were respected for being smart. Mm. So for me, part of my survival mechanism at that stage of my life was how do I ace it at school? Because acing it at school got me basically, not, not popularity, but I was identified as someone who should be listened to and as a result of that, somewhat respected by my peers and so on. Without having to fight physically, I was fighting almost intellectually. Um, mm. And so on. I think that has been a big part of my kind of journey because a lot of my life has been about survival and then thinking, how do I thrive once I've survived? So contrast that with moving to the UK when I was 14, going on 15, was exactly the same thing. You know, like, how do I get into a new country, new culture, new people? um, new way of doing life basically. And how do I actually make it here? How do I survive and how do I thrive? Mm. So again, it was that combination of being streetwise, but (laughs) also learning that education was important. Um, but how could I use those two elements to make my way? So that's how I'd connect my childhood, Emeka, that's the name I was called as a young, as a young person. And it's still, it's still the names that the people were dearest to me, Chukwemeka, who are dearest to me, call me, to the person who people might know as Ken on the internet or can on our website or can wherever, really, on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. wherever it is, you kind of come across our content. Yeah. And uh,
1: what values would you say your parents, uh, you know, imbibed in, in you and your siblings while growing up?
0: So the values I'd say they instilled were, um, First of all, self-belief—you mm-hmm. know, believing in yourself and believing in what the, your God-given abilities—you know—that you you can actually make something of yourself That's one of them. The second one's honesty, so operating in a way that is even when you're by yourself, you know, when you're in—in in, I guess in when you're not in front of people, you're still able to operate in the same way, you know, Mm. so operating honestly. Um, And I'd say as well is a value was being enterprising was a value that my parents tried to communicate to us Um, because my parents always believed that there isn't really one way of doing things. There are different ways of doing things. And secondly, like you don't really, failure is something we should face up to, not something Mm. we should be afraid of. If something doesn't work out, you learn a load of stuff from it but what's, what's most important is actually trying and having a go. And if it doesn't work out, then learn something from it and do something else. So all those elements, when you bring them together, amongst other things began to really shape who I would become later Mm. in life. You know, I wanted to be enterprising. I wanted to, you know, have my voice heard. I wanted to share authentically, like all those elements came from just watching and observing my parents.
1: No, it's interesting they mentioned that because I watched this um, video interview. I think you had with your sister as well, who is very enterprising. And I was yeah. starting to, to, to see how, ha- to see how, or to appreciate how your upbringing sort of has influenced you, not just yourself but your siblings as well. Um, yeah. How did you find you know transitioning from Lagos you at King's College to the UK? Um, what differences did? Did you have any culture shocks first of all, and how did you sort of, like adapt to living in this new e- economy?
0: So, first thing I noticed was i was i was actually smarter than my peers in my in my class That's the first thing I noticed in the, and i don't say that in a braggy way, I just say you mm-hmm. know in, in just a literal like it was just what I noticed like I was doing more advanced work in Nigeria than I was than the people in my age group in the u k were actually doing um and that was useful for me for again survival uh but the big culture shocks were basically. <laughs> fitting in you know like you know speaking with my nigeria accent <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah so fitting in was a big thing um and not being bullied you know because being nigerian was was not very cool back in the late 90s people were not being african more generally you were not really welcome like you know so trying to fit in and and survive was a big thing and not having any money was a big the other thing we didn't have money And we didn't have all the rights you needed to just go and get a job and stuff so all those elements brought together created a bit of a melting pot for just loneliness in a way and and depression in a way really because i didn't have any friends here because people people were not people were not very friendly i eventually made friends with somebody other immigrant children, immigrant uh, teenagers, people who were from Nigeria and Ghana and uh, a guy actually from uh, some other African country, I don't remember the name of it now. Uh, I eventually made those friends and those were useful for me for, again, what would become the foundations I needed to survive and eventually look to thrive one day.
1: Oh, I see. So, so did you come here for like your u- university or was this after you already finished in Nigeria that you moved over?
0: Oh no, I, I moved here when I was, I started in year 11.
1: Secondary what? school. Oh yeah. really? Oh I see, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see, yeah, I see. The
0: last, the last year of secondary school,
1: okay. which is the yeah. worst
0: possible time to actually <laughs> actually move to a new country and start school because people have already established their friendships and uh, yeah. circles and stuff. So you're kind of, you're kind of coming in really, really cold, you know? Yeah. So, yeah.
1: How do you cope then? Or what was like your frame of mind for dealing with this, you know, quote unquote challenges of not being able to fit in initially? How did you get through that period? And I ask that because um, I, I know quite a number of people are, you know, they move around from you know, various countries into the UK and etc. And sometimes people also have this feeling, of how do I fit in? So how right. did you find that true transition? What was your frame of mind for adapting, You might putting it that way?
0: I think for me, um, at that age, you know, you're still a teenager. So you don't really know, although I thought I knew a lot about life, I, I also didn't know a lot about life. So for mm-hmm. me it was all about how do I actually make some friends? You know, how do I actually not get bullied? How do I fit in and all of those things, which again, later on you see in life, you know, as you, as you get through life and as you try to make your way, it's not really about fitting in. It's actually yeah. how do you, how do you become an individual? So for me, it was initially how do I fit in and how do I like not get singled out and I did that by trying to make some friends. And, you know, I did I did like a cleaning job. I did this cleaning job in East London because I was trying to make some money so I could buy some like some really nice pair of trainers. I was hoping that my pair of trainers would make me fit in, but yeah, it didn't cool. really work.
1: Cool. <laughs> yeah, it didn't
0: really work, you know. So it took a while, but you know, I then found that, you know what, what I really needed to do was to try and make it through my schooling work. Like just try and make it through my actual work because that's what mattered. So I was trying to ace my GCSEs and then my A-levels then trying to get into a good uni whilst, you know, doing what everybody else does or trying to do some of that. I think that's where that individuality started. I realized mm-hmm. that, you know what, I need to think of myself and, and think, what do I, need to do to make it here, you know, yeah. I need to adapt to this environment. And, and what I needed to do was understand how the system works, worked and, um, think how do I actually play this game? Cause everything's a game really at the end yeah. of the day, how do you play the game and how you play the game well. So, so
1: yeah. Yeah. So spending time to understand the system and then figure out how you can adapt while still being yourself and remaining true to yourself. Really, yeah. Um, that's that's the very key takeaway. Let, let's sort of shift gears a bit towards like finance and entrepreneurship. Um, sure. Where did the desire to get into finance and the financial world come from? Is that something you've always had, or was something that you know developed in high school? Yeah.
0: So I I had zero interest in finance. Zero. Uh, I only even got interested in finance because I did I did my A levels. And I got an A in A level maths and the teacher said to me, you know, I didn't want to go into medicine, which is what my parents wanted me to do. I was like, no, nah, I don't really want to do that. So I want to do something else. And the teacher said, look, you've got A in A level maths, you've got a B in chemistry and a C in biology for my A levels, which are all medical type related, scientific type subjects. Um, she said, look, you've got this A maths. Why don't you take it and go and do something in, like, finance? You could maybe do actuarial science. You could do accountancy. You could do economics. You could do, she mentioned all these top, all these subject areas. And I said, oh, actually, that sounds quite interesting. Maybe I could apply through clear, clearing and maybe get into a uni because, like, all my uni applications were to medic medicine, and then I had a change of mind. I was like, no, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. So no one, I didn't go anymore to, in that direction. So I applied through clearing and there was a course for economics and accountancy at City University of London. And I got in through clearing and that was it. This is how I actually got into anything finance related. I had zero experience of anything to do finance or economics at that level. When I was starting university, I was literally mm. like completely clean. So I started learning about that. But my mom would actually tell me later in life that when I was much younger, I was very good at managing money, my mom told me. She said, look, whenever you made money, you always put aside some of it. Like you hmm. always put aside. And she said that my tutor, when I was young, told her, this guy is going to get rich one day. <laughs> because he's very good at managing his money as a 10-year-old. Most wow. 10-year-olds don't <laughs> look after people like he does, but he seems to be looking after his money. And I don't <laughs> even remember that, but my mum told me that later in life. I did an interview with my mum and our YouTube channel yeah. at, at the Half Penny. And she thought, wow, that's so interesting because I don't even remember any of that. So I'm thinking the way I really got into anything finance related was, number one, that childhood kind of thing. Number two was kind of my journey in terms of university. And then number three, and by far the most important was actually when I met my wife, Mary, and we both were on the journey of becoming financially independent. We we're like, oh, look, we're at the very beginning. We're so keen on this topic. So having been through that journey ourselves, for hmm. over a decade gave me that grounding in addition to everything else. I then eventually did like an MBA and chartered accountancy and, you know, uh, all those things. Um, and then general interest in the topic. All of those things then became, became the bits that gave me more of an interest in
1: it. Yeah yeah we'll we'll talk about financial independence shortly but something you said that i wanted to maybe um drill a bit into was this this um idea of when you were 10 years old you already had this sort of like seeds (laughs) of financial um maturity and save having a savings culture there and there's this topic that is currently you know, going on about passion versus just getting involved in, in different areas and working hard there. So, in fact, there's a book by Carl Newport, I think, So Good, They Can't Ignore You. That's of advocates, you don't necessarily have to have passion in something to be great at it. I wanted yeah. to get your thoughts, you know, just your opinion on, on this on this topic. Do you think passion counts or is there some, of like, is there a balance between um, something that someone is not necessarily very passionate about, but you still work hard to get
0: greater? I think it's, a combination of passion talent and demand mm. in fact we talk about this in the book it's called a three seed formula i think what you're passionate about is important um, but it's not it's not the only thing so i think there needs to be an intersection between what you're passionate about which is what you have an interest in or what you love doing and what you're good at like what mm. you're good at is very important so i take the humble painter as an example I was passionate about helping people, sharing information. Like I'm, I'm a sharer right? I like to share and empower people. That's a passion. Whereas I had a talent in this area of money management, invest, I worked in investment business for 14 years, I, right? you know, but when you bring those two elements together, you can create an outcome. For example, mm. was that outcome, but there's a third element, which is demand. Because if there's no, if no one's interested in this element. Then it doesn't work. You know, you could waste, you could, you could potentially waste your time doing it. So I think it's element of passion, element of talent. Talent being what you're, what you're good at. And then, you know, is there demand for it out there? You know, do people are people interested in what you have to share or offer?
1: Mm. Passion, talent, and demand. I quite like that because I, I, I'm like you as well in the fact that I. I think there's balance between both of them. I don't think it's just passion alone or just hard work alone. I think there has to be um, some other thing, and I think you've quite you've articulated really well what that other thing is. Even though I hadn't figured it out until today, and there is reason yeah. why, folks listening, should get the book uh, to, <laughs> to, to, to 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 learn about this. So yeah, um, you then go on and you know study um, finance. At what point did you realize I've got this? ability to teach people i've got this passion to share this with people to help them create financial joy in their lives do you remember a people moment where that, that was a thing for you do
0: you know what i would always when i explain things to people mm-hmm. i and, and this is before any of what we do today actually started I, I i like to explain it like i'm explaining it in the way that my children would understand it um or in the way that my mom, who's much older and in her late sixties would understand it without complexity and without jargon and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I found that people always say to me, oh, you're really good at explaining stuff. And they'd say random things like, oh, you should be a teacher. Like you should be a, you know, someone said you should be like a lecturer or a professor. You're just good at explaining things in a way that people actually understand it and want to do something with it. But I, I always just ignored it. I was just like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, <whatever. laughs> I'm just explaining stuff to you. I hope it's useful, you know, like a bit like that. So I didn't really take it that seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it wasn't until we started, you know, because when I, when I think about explaining something to someone, I think of it like a story. A story has that beginning middle, and end. It's like you're taking someone on a bit of a journey. So I applied that thinking to creating content and explaining things to people. In a way that they can relate to it like for example if i want to explain to you what index fund is i'll talk to you about the supermarket i'd say to you it's like going to sainsbury's or tesco's and making a shopping list but you're instead of buying all your groceries you're buying companies you know (laughs) when i explain it like that people kind of understand you know like wow okay i think i understand it now so i think it was I think it was just a general interest in wanting to help people understand stuff. Because I, I feel when I understand something, the best way to show I've understood it is to teach somebody else, hmm. like actually say, oh, actually, do you understand it based on how I see it? You know. So.
1: Right, okay, okay. So it, it was out of that desire to explain things simpler that you realize, oh, there's an opportunity here to get involved in explaining financial concepts to people.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. the internet has always been—it's you know, been a big part of all our lives. And I've always thought, you know what? Like, I've seen other people do it.
1: Mm-hmm. I've always
0: admired other people doing things on the internet and thought, "Wow, what if I could do something like that?" I used to read a lot of American blogs, a lot of American like content because I just find those guys just a bit more daring. Mm-hmm. And I've always—I've often thought to myself, "Wow, like these guys are just—they're sitting in their bedrooms or wherever they are." But they're creating stuff that that's changing people's lives mm-hmm. um, but with the potential to also create an income for them by doing it online so that intrigue made me think actually maybe this is my idea of being able to explain things to people might actually be something that I could use mm-hmm. um, somehow you know on, online or offline
1: right okay and you've taken that desire um, you know grown this really uh, inspiring, a series of content on YouTube, on LinkedIn, in the book now, and you've done this with your wife, Mary. So we'll talk a bit about Mary and um, you know how she's impacted your life story as well. How did you both meet? First of all, like, do you mind telling us the the backstory about that?
0: Yeah, no, it's a big, it's a big one. Um, and just to say, by the way, our content we have the most content actually on our website uh, at thehumblepenny.com, where our blog gotcha. is. So also, make sure you check that out if you can. Okay. Um, But how did Mary and I meet? So we met uh, in the most bizarre place. We met at a property investing seminar. (laughs) Uh, uh, I'd gone to, I'd I'd seen an ad in a paper and they were talking about like, come and learn about property investing. It's 2009. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. I've got, I'm not doing very much this weekend. So I'm going to go and register as a, it was a, a weekend thing, Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing. So um, but unknown to me, Mary, Mary's older brother, who's about 10 to 12 years older than her, was meant to go with his wife, but she couldn't make it. So he took mm. his younger sister along with her to go to this event. And when we got to, uh, when they got there, I got there, I got there proper, you know, super keen to learn. I was right in front of the, right in the front <laughs> of the, class because i was like yeah it was a big massive hall with so many people in that hall i was right at front like yeah trying to soak in as much information kind of try and implement it but mary and her brother came in but they were all the way at the back and i remember during one of the breaks like i was just kind of looking around and you know and i looked all the way to the back and i spotted mary and i i i knew immediately that just from seeing her i knew immediately that there was something like incredible that was about to unfold, but I didn't put, I couldn't put my finger on it. I just knew that's somebody I need to go close to and get to know. So I mm. left my, my front row seat and, and went all the way to the back. Mary and I got put together into a group where we had to do something called a commitment wall. A commitment wall is a war where you had to write down what your future commitments would be. Like what's your vision, mm. what's, what's your goals, what do you want out of your life? And both of us were in this group together. It was me and her and her brother. And so we we're right here on this wall and we noticed that like, we, ha- we wanted the same things. We wanted to be financially independent. We wanted to own our own home. We wanted to have children one day. We wanted to travel the world. Hmm. We wanted to have fun, we wanted to build our careers. You know, we wanted a good, um, happy marriage you a know, relationship, but then we were strangers, which is, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we finished writing all that. We're like, okay, well, nice meeting you. Uh, maybe we should just stay in touch, you know. Uh, I walked her to the train station, and uh, I wasn't sure she was single because I was, you know, I really liked her. <laughs> I just didn't know she had a boyfriend or anything. I was just like, yeah, maybe we should stay in touch, you know. We kind of have quite a lot in common. So um we swapped numbers and that was it, beginning of our, our friendship and found out later that she was actually single and I thought, okay, this is this is God's will. Right? Like <laughs> this is my opportunity now to make my move. So yeah, I, I, I made my move and my move was a good move. Um we started going out, you know, and, and yeah. that was the beginning of our journey. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. So it was love at first sight for you.
0: Oh, absolutely! Oh, one hundred percent. Like, absolutely. Like, interesting. Uh, Mary, yeah, Mary was very, um, very. How shall I put it? I always say simple. Like, mm-hmm. very, like, just gracious. That's it. Yeah, very. You know, beautiful, obviously, but just simple and gracious.
1: All right. Right. That that was my attraction, yeah, so. Yeah, and yeah. You mentioned earlier that she's, you know, being one of the most influential people in your life, she's impacted on your life. Um, Mm. Do you mind speaking a bit about that? Like, how has Mary as a person, like,
0: helped you be the king you are today? Well, she's helped me, she's helped me stop myself from pressing the self destruct button. Because I think, I think, I personally think marriage is a very, you know, it's not for everyone, but I personally think it's a very, it's a very sacred thing. Um, And I think when I met Mary, Mary met me when I had nothing. I didn't have any money, like, I didn't have anything. And I didn't have it all together. You know, I was still trying to sort out my, all my just all my all my issues like residency challenges and like all these other things that just needed to be finalized. And I wasn't really clear on what I fully wanted out of my life, although I had some ideas where I wanted to go with my life. So starting off with her at that stage of my life was very special because like, you know, she believed in me and I believed in her, you know, and that's actually a very important thing. And that, that belief has been very important. She's been my, num- outside of my, my my mom and my dad, she's my number one cheerleader, you know, kind of like cheering me on in different ways, emotional support, spiritual support, you know, um, uh, obviously uh, from a relationship perspective in our marriage. So she's always believed in my crazy ideas as well, you know, and really supported that. And when I say, oh, I think we should, I think we should pay off our mortgage even though interest rates are bottom low like, bottom, you know, <laughs> you know, crazy crazily low rates. You know, just wild ideas like that that yeah people, oh, that's a bit weird. Um she's always thought, you know what, like you've got you've got good ideas and I support mm-hmm. you there. Uh and we've always done things together. This is the one important thing. We always do everything together. Everything. So whether it's, the, it's how we manage our money, whether it's that we're traveling, whether it's the, so having that transparency and that unity mm. has been absolutely critical and it's built like, it's built trust, you know, because we mm. have trust we have cooperation with your partner and you have unity and you have a foundation for us, you know, we're people of faith. So we we'll put God at the center of everything we do. Yeah all those elements brought together you have in my opinion anyway you have recipe for a very good fruitful relationship that is ever blossoming rather than kind of like contracting so yeah
1: oh wow did you have any models in terms of um you know people that you looked up to in terms of having this stable relationship of support or was that something that you just knew you wanted. I'm keen to know how that played out for you because it looks like from this meeting that, that you went to this investment, you already had quite a strong idea of the kind of life and marriage you wanted to have, right?
0: Yeah. Um, think yeah. Did you I think it came from, I think it came from knowing what I didn't want because I'd, I'd been in other friendships and other things like that, and I knew, like, okay, these are this. This is this is not this is what doesn't work.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but also, I think the biggest when you say role models, I'm guessing you mean is it's actually observing our parents. Mm. I think is what it is. So, I've watched my parents who've been married for more than 40 years, um, and I've seen the things I have worked for them and the things I haven't worked for them. So, mm-hmm. I've, I've I've known from observing my parents uh, this is kind of life I want. And here's the potential that one can have in a relationship. If there is unity everything's Mm -hmm. about unity, like if there's unity and there's love, you're unstoppable, basically. Like nothing can come in your way at all. Mm -hmm. And I I observed that from my parents, either from them doing things really well or them doing certain things not so well. Uh, And Mary did the same, you know, her parents are older than my parents. Um and they you know, her dad's in in his eighties and a mum in, in in the seventies. Mm. So observing her parents and their unity and what's worked for them and I think really helped us to be clear on what we wanted out of mm. our own lives long term and what we didn't want, you know. Yeah.
1: Right. Because um I'll give you the perspective from you know, a person from Glasgow, several hundred miles away from you, just interacting with your content. I think it's remarkable what, you're, what you and, and Mary are doing. Um, so, for example, I think I, I remember reading an article of yours and you mentioned that up until maybe a few months ago, a few years ago, Mary was actually doing the editing for some of the videos and then oh, <laughs> you yeah, yeah, the yeah. content and from hearing your story and from all the things I've read in the past, it's like, wow, Unity does
0: pay, you know, <laughs> Unity wow, does work yeah, yeah. 100%. That's awesome. We take a lot of what we do for granted, mm-hmm. but we get so many questions. Like many people want us to mentor them or coach mm-hmm. them, and you know, we get so many like inbound, you know, queries and DMs and what have you. But yeah. uh, we're just like, um, you know, this is just like stuff we do. You know? Exactly, and, it's natural to you. Yeah, yeah it's just like yeah, but some people are like, but but like, tell us your processes. Tell us like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us that, you know, things you take for granted. Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe that might be what we do because we, we are thinking of starting a podcast, you know, at some point, so yeah. So maybe that, that element will start to come through so that,
1: yes. I, yeah, I think it will be very useful. Um, let's talk a bit about... We have two more sections and then we'll be we'll, we'll wrapping this up. This has been fun, by the way, Ken. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, I hope so, I've enjoyed it, man. Good yeah.
1: question. <laughs> thank you. Let's yeah. talk a bit about entrepreneurship and building something from the ground up. So you okay. you mentioned yourself and Mary met when you had nothing. True love. <laughs> there was no money involved. It was more the values that I, from hearing your story, seems to yourselves um just talk to me a bit about that process of you know building something that was a side hustle i think mm-hmm. you're still working in the financial space and then growing that into this sort of like great empire that it is now mm-hmm. you've mentioned about how humble penny came to be but could you talk a bit about the process behind you and mary thinking let's work on this and let's go to the next stage to work on, on this blog and let's work on a youtube channel
0: how did that play oh, okay. out for you Okay, that's a great question. So initially, uh let's, let's just go back a little bit to, yep. to around 2016. I've always been a, a big believer in in expanding my imagination. So I learned a lot uh, I learned a lot from other people. I've learned that creativity is a very is a critical ingredient to building wealth, making money, and all those things. But the problem is, is as we get older, our creative abilities and our imagination gets almost gets depleted. So around 2016, I was reading a lot of, just a lot of books and I was just consuming content that really spoke to who I wanted to become in the future. And around that time, Mary was doing exactly the same thing. And, and that's where we, the initial idea for the humble penny kind of started to come together. But then when we started the idea of The Humble Penny, it began as a blog when we bought the humblepenny.com. We didn't have, we just started as a blog because it was low risk, it was low hanging fruit. It was what we'd been consuming. But when we started, we also didn't have a lot of money to put into it mm. because we were just starting out. So we said, why don't we just use, why don't we just lean on our strengths? You know? So this is where us working together came in mary was is a creative so she's very good at designing like graphic design and all that kind of stuff whereas i am, i have zero talent when it comes to that so i'm like i can't do any of that but i can i can learn to write yeah so i started doing the writing and mary started doing the designing so she would design all our pinterest pins all our thumbnails, all our covers on like using Canva and this Photoshop, whereas I did the writing. So we started doing something that we found to be fun. We were like, yay, we're doing something together as a couple. You do this bit, I do this bit. Mm. So we did the humble penny blogging three times a week. And we were then trying to grow the audience as the world started to show an interest, BBC, all these various platforms started to show an interest in what we were doing. Two years later in 2019, we were like, wow, like there's a big talk about video. A lot of people talk talking about video, like people are like, oh, wow. Like YouTube and all this stuff. People talk about video a lot and video is going to be future.
1: And at the same time,
0: audio was emerging as a, a future direction, with podcasting mm-hmm. and what have you. So we were like, oh, maybe we should try something. Maybe we should try a video. But again, we didn't really have the skills. So we were like, well, why don't we try one? Just try one video. Mm-hmm. and i had an interest in photography i used to go and take pictures in london i'd get on the just get just get on a train go to london bridge set my tripod up on the bridge and just take pictures of my like, tower bridge and i just love doing stuff like that that was just for me to develop a bit of a hobby so i had some equipment i had a, a camera so we're like oh yeah let's start a youtube channel and we're like, "Let's just make one video again. We're like, "Oh, well, we don't have the skills." Mary's like, "Oh, I can learn video editing. Wow, then maybe you can film." So she's like, instead of watching some videos on YouTube to learn video editing, and I started practicing how to film myself to to be confident in front of a camera um And we decided to make one video. We chose a blog post that did well on our blog, so it had already been validated for s e o and stuff like that. We said why don't we make that as a video for youtube so we had a title we had who's going to do the video editing and who's going to do the video itself so and we filmed it in our dining room and that was our first ever youtube video that was going to be um for our channel but before Mm -hmm. that something had happened because i'd been interviewed on like channel five and the bbc like some interviews that, and um, we put those interviews on our on, the, on, the, on our YouTube channel, mm-hmm. and people loved those interviews. People were like, "Oh, it's good to see this couple and uh, see like their story and stuff." We're like, "Oh, maybe people do want a YouTube channel from us." So that video that we then made then became our first YouTube video after those interviews that were already from like the BBC and what have gotcha. Those kind of validated for us a little bit like people that people are interested. And then after the first one, we were like, oh, let's do another one. And then let's do another one. And then let's do another one. And that's how it's carried on. And then from there we were like, well, this thing needs to be sustainable, it needs to make some income. Let's try and monetize a YouTube channel. And then we had it as a wow. goal. We got monetized in three months. Wow. And at this stage, advertising. And then before that, we'd be monetized for the for the blog, for advertising. Then from there we we're like, let's try to reinvest the money we're making from it. Let's, you know, bits of money. Let's use it to maybe get a virtual assistant someone to help us out to yeah, reinvesting it. we got ourselves a, a VA. And then in 2020, we wanted to create something that was a huge mission. We had this vision of helping at least 10,000 families or people to become financially free by 2030. Well, we needed a platform for doing that. And that's where Financial Joy Academy got, got born. Wow. For COVID in, in February, 2020. We wanted to create so this is our third elevation from what was a blog then a youtube channel then now this financial joy academy um and that was going to be a membership platform again we didn't have the skills but we're like okay we've seen it work like in america or somewhere we must be able to make it work here and then we've hired a lady uh called sarah in florida who i found on like i don't know fiverr or something Mm-hmm. So I hired her and said, "Look, come and help us out." So we reinvested our ad money into getting a VA, and that was it. And we were building this platform from inception. We had like this vision; we wanted to be like Netflix, but instead, you have entrepreneurship content, personal finance content, personal development content, all in one place. Wow. That's where mm-hmm. Academy.com was born, uh, and then it's, it's just carried on like that, you know in december last year 2022 we had a vision we were like oh it would be nice for us to write a book you know one day you know really amazing we've seen other people do it we think we can do it too 14 days later we had an email from the second largest book publisher in the world saying i've been watching your youtube channel and we absolutely love what you're doing we'd love for you to put your ideas and everything you do and with everything you've, your journey, everything you teach, put it into a book. Um, and that's where this book financial joy, uh, as a title, uh, was born. And again, it was Mary and I doing things together. So unity has been a running theme basically across my mm. entire journey. And also that openness and that willingness to try new things and be a yeah. bit daring. I think is very important. Because okay? like, A lot of people suffer from the fear of failure, and we we do, and we did as well. But I think you have to believe in yourself. You have to back yourself. You have to be willing to believe in your own ideas. And that comes from self-awareness. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to really understand who you are and what you want out of your life. And for Mm -hmm. us, a lot of um, that desire to want to become financially independent back in 2009 that journey over a decade after that, and really almost that willingness to be counter cultural to do things that not all your friends are doing, but something that you believe in and in your essence you believe can have impact and you know and help you move forward. So, so yeah, sorry, I digressed a little bit, but I don't know if I'm So,
1: on. no, you're answering it so well. I've got so many, <laughs> so many. Questions off the back of that, but I'll ask just two. I think it's a very profound story. One key takeaway for me is um, this, uh, this daring, you know, abilities that yourself and, and Mary both like employed. You had this vision and you're like, we'll go learn it. Like we didn't have to be experts in it. We'll just start with, with that. The first question I have is, if you could trace all of this, like start with a blog. And you were concerned about that for two years and then move on to the YouTube. What made your blog stand out? that Ah. BBC and you know the other
0: you know (laughs) what's made it stand out okay that's a very easy answer Mm -hmm. I think what made it stand out is first of all branding I think branding is very important a lot of people take branding for granted I when we started out we were very new but we had some of the biggest brands get in touch with us to want to work with us in the first six months of starting and that's because they saw our brand as almost like an established name, even though it was still new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The reason for that is because we were very intentional about our branding. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's the first thing. Uh, and by that, I mean, like, we paid close attention to colors, we paid close attention. Like, for example, the Humble Penny has a yellow color that we use, which is the color for Wisdom right and we we we, we were very intentional about about our choice of colors for what we're doing right and also then beyond the things that you can see it's then this unwritten energy so like your values have to come across you know that your core values and 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 the authenticity behind what you're doing needs to be felt by people they need to know Mm -hmm. you're not just like rehashing all the other things that people are saying out there but you're you're saying what you're saying from the heart and it's coming from a real place, you know? Mm. So for me, I think it's that honesty, integrity, transparency, and branding. And then one thing I'd add is consistency because a lot of, I remember various people who started with us doing various other things, but a lot of them have dropped away, they've just mm-hmm. like given up, and, you know, not carried on, but we really believed in what we were doing like we saw that as a critical life-changing mission, um, not just for us, but for the people who were, we believe who were being called to serve. So I think consistency is very important. And, and because we kept showing up, mm. believed more in us basically.
1: Yeah. This like fits perfectly into the next question, which is about, did you ever have a time where you, you like almost quit? Like where you almost shelled the vision basically?
0: So we've had very difficult, difficult times, but we didn't have a time when we almost quit. And I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. We gave ourselves a deadline of three years to either fail spectacularly or succeed exceedingly. Mm -hmm. Three years from 2017, December to 2020, December. That was it. I think a lot of people fail or don't achieve what they want to achieve because they give up too easily. They start something, it doesn't work out in six months. They're like, oh, this thing's not working out. And then they just give up. Yeah. Whereas I remember watching this, listening to this, these two guys on a podcast once, and they said they give themselves a long period of time, like three years to be to make what they're doing work. So that way, even if they were facing challenges, they were just like, yeah, whatever, we'll carry on because we'll have this three-year period. And so we decided to adopt that idea and give ourselves a three-year period to succeed with what we're doing. And so even though we faced many challenges, like raising two children under the age of two and, you know, like, you know, doing different qualifications, doing an MBA, working in demanding jobs. I worked as a chief financial officer, so as a board level role, you know, um, and Mary was running a business, running a um, nursery, a family nursery business and managing that. Even though we had all those things happening. Mm. We believed in what we were doing. Like right? we believed in it, you know? And so even with all those challenges, that kept us, that kept that made us persist basically and keep going.
1: Wow. Giving time to fail spectacularly or succeed exceedingly well. That's yeah, that's a big takeaway. And that has kept you going. Right. So as we get to the final um, section of this podcast, which which is a bit more reflective, and I'll be asking a few questions based on people that might be listening. I also people might be thinking, "So, well, you, you asked a question about how how, how did they get their musket in seven years, or how did they do all of that? They have a lot of videos already
0: oh, on this, which is right. <laughs> exactly. You have to buy, you have to <laughs> get financial joy. Can I just spend them over them? Yeah, the book is gonna be game changing generationally. It's mm. gonna be game changing. Because a lot of people who teach this topic of actually financial freedom haven't actually achieved it, mm. but we're sharing from a real place of have, having had a lived experience of this and having deep expertise in, on this journey, but we're sharing it differently. We're share, we're helping you design a life of financial joy, which is something you can start to enjoy today, rather than when you become financially free, because I think that's yeah. the misconception of what we have. People are like, oh, I'll enjoy my life when I'm financially free. No, you need stuff to enjoy your life today. And the book helps you to create a plan for that. How do I work towards a financial element, which is your goal towards becoming financially free, and how do I incorporate the joy in my life? How do I put joy at the center of my finances, the fun, the well-being? How do I do it practically? Yeah, Mm. That's why I think... I started by saying that Financial Joy is the best, is, is my favorite book of all time because I just believe that if you want to design a life that is enjoyable, is fun, or you are progressing and you're working towards your goal of becoming financially free in an intentional and yeah. tried and tested way, then you need to go and get the book and get on the journey.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I was telling Ken this earlier, in, earlier on this call, I said I'm best about getting a copy, like right like right after this podcast. We're actually getting a copy because, I, again, I've engaged awesome. with Ken's um, content online and they've just been such a blessing to us. So thank you very much, Ken, for putting this out there. So the, the, the first question, as you get back on your journey, Ken, um,
0: what are you most grateful for? I'm most grateful for my health. Because I think a lot of us underestimate how important your health is for the, the vision, almost not cutting short the destiny that your life is unfolding into. So mm. I think health is actually a really, really important thing. I'm also most grateful for the things that my parents have instilled in me that have helped me to become an individual and helped me to believe in myself over time. Um, because I just think, I think self-belief, And self-awareness is very critical for achieving big goals, like becoming Mm. financially independent and progression in your career and stuff like that. So I think those values are very critical. And then the final thing I'd say I'm I'm really most grateful for is the opportunity and the gift to do what I do today, you know, Mm. because I just think there's so many different ways that my life could have gone, but God's really given us a platform. And I, I say that to give God glory in everything I do. Because nothing I do with that would actually exist, actually, without God's permission and God's plan. So, for me, I'm very grateful that God has given us a a platform to, in my words, to be almost almost that light on the hill. Mm. You know, to really help other people see where they're going, to help other Mm. people have visibility for how to move forward in their finances. So, for me, those are you know, um, obviously outside of the other things we talked about, like meeting yeah. my wife Mary and so on, those are, those, are th- those are the things that I'm really, really grateful for.
1: Cool. Question two in the reflective um, stage of questions. Um, if the young kid, so the kid who you know, left Nigeria and was on, on a plane into the UK, trying to settle in, fit in, came to you for advice today. And I was like, hey, I've just jumped to this country and I um, yeah. began to like learn from you and be mentored by you what is the one key advice you'd give him? Open an, invet- you don't know.
0: open an investing account. That's the first thing. Really? Yeah. Go and open an investing account straight away because mm-hmm. because you, you, you stand to benefit from the power of compounding interest over time. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, one of their biggest, we ran a poll on our YouTube channel and asked people, what's the biggest financial regret you have? And 45% of people said that they didn't start investing early enough. If I had to go back, the advice I wish someone gave me was as soon as you start making money, save and invest 50% of it. Whoa, literally that. For every pound you make, save 50p and invest it. Don't leave it in your bank account, invest it. Be aggressive before your children come, before you settle down, before anything, get super aggressive at investing like really, really aggressive. That way, you get accustomed to a simpler lifestyle. Because a lot of people struggle today because of lifestyle inflation. Mm. They just get that next thing, the next bigger car, the next bigger house, the next bigger holiday, the next bigger thing, driven by, you know, what they don't even know.
1: Mm.
0: And so I think getting accustomed to putting my money to work would have been the best piece of advice someone could have given me, in addition to showing me how you actually do it. You know how do i actually invest without worry? in fact chapter seven in our book is all about investing like how do you actually invest in a way that you can invest your money without worry like mm-hmm. a lot of books just gloss over it but we go into a ton of detail and actually show you exactly what we're investing like what are we investing in right now all those things are shared um in our book that i mentioned earlier but that would be the advice i would give my younger self
1: Right, and very similarly, um, because again, many people listening to this, perhaps people who are familiar with your content and want to get financially free or get involved in entrepreneurship, what advice would you give, particularly to say, migrants moving from you know a separate country coming to the UK, looking to start a business and hopefully make it big as well? What, what what would your your thoughts and advice be to them?
0: Start an online business. So there are three types of businesses you can start. You can start a service-based product-based or content-based business. Mm. I I have had experience of all three of them. You know, I've run a tuition business. We've run a nursery business. We've run a party business. We've run a events business. The different things we've done, right? Mm. One thing I can tell you is that you want a business that can give you the potential for you to be a small global business. But I mean, even though you're small, you're running from like the back of your house like I am. But you, ha- you could have customers in the U.S., in Canada, in Europe, in Australia, in Nigeria, in Ghana, in wherever, basically people can connect with you by virtue of the leverage that media gives you because media actually gives you leverage a bit like when you buy a piece of property and the bank gives you 75% as a mortgage and you put down 25% as a as a buy to let, for example, that's leverage being created there because that money that the bank's giving you is amplifying the returns that you're getting. In the same way, creating, uh, content and media and stuff like that amplifies, uh, your, your, your message helps you with your marketing efforts and stuff like that. So if I was starting out, um, I would be teaching people. In fact, I actually do do that now, but I've been teaching people essentially, how do you create a, a business that gives you recurring income each month, but without you putting in more time i call that a smart like a smart side hustle how do you do that uh so you you, you're not necessarily putting in more time but it has that potential to create your recurring income each month and really it's usually an online based platform that lets you do that wow
1: that's that's a, a lot that's that's a lot of, of, of good content now that we have in this episode final question ken um again this has been such an inspiring conversation with you thank you so much for, for coming this sure. question is more in terms of vision for the future for the world as it is um mentioned you have you know children growing up and um What is your vision for the world in, say, a couple of years? What what would you want their world to look like,
0: the world that they grow in? I guess I'd want their world to be one that's peaceful and one where they could actually still enjoy a good life, but without having to work till their 70s or 80s to make Mm. it a reality. So the big concern I have for our children's generation, one of them is that, you know, assets are very expensive, and children they will just struggle to get on things like the property ladder and stuff like that. I think if I could change things, really, it would be that, you know, they'd been they 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 grow up in a world where they didn't have to fork out maybe eight to ten times their salary in order to be able to buy a house, for example, you know. Mm-hmm that's a very difficult place to begin or a place where you're beginning your life with a load of student loan debt you know that's actually a very very difficult place to begin mm. you know whereas the people that came before them the people that came before me all started off with better conditions you know so yeah. i think a big question for a lot of parents right now is how do you help your children to thrive so Again, I talk about this, in Mary and I talk about this in the book, like how we co-invest with our children. Because so I think if you're not doing that now, then you're not really setting your children up to to win in the future. You need to really start to think about like how do I how do I how do we help them to prepare for what could be or is expected to be a very challenging future yeah. ahead? Because if you think about how assets are going right now, those assets won't suddenly become cheaper. No. Yeah they'll just keep going up in value driven by inflation driven by government policy driven by bank, central banks and their policies so yeah i just think there's a there's a there's an action point for parents and would-be parents to act now yeah you know, act now and co-invest with your children again like you know since i have the opportunity to say this here we, we cover this extensively in our book and yeah. mentioned it. You should definitely make sure you check that out as well. A hundred percent.
1: And Ken, is there anything you'd like to say to our audience that I've not asked a question about or something just not heavy on your heart that you think um, our audience needs to hear right now? I'd say
0: that I'd say a life of financial joy is, is very, very critical to the future. A lot of us are working ourselves into the ground mm-hmm. because we're trying to make money and we're trying to better ourselves. And those are all good things. But we are letting go of very important things such as our well-being or I need mm. to enjoy our lives I need to have fun right now because you know your tomorrow isn't always guaranteed so I think it's mm. very important to strike that balance between your desire to become financially free and the need for you to look after yourself for the for the future future version of you that arrives 10 years from now to be thankful to you that you actually looked after yourself yeah. rather than work yourself into the ground so I think it's very important for us all to really ask ourselves, what does my life of financial joy look like? Because it will be different for everybody. What does my life of financial joy look like? I think that question will help you design the future that you want to achieve that balance between your financial goals and the things that bring joy into your life. So, yeah. What a way to
1: end this episode. Um, for fourth listening, um, I'm linking all of Ken's social media handles in, in the show notes, and I'm also linking um, the link to the book as well. Again, if you haven't gotten a copy, just go, it's an Amazon. Like, just, just, you know, um, invest yeah. that money. Uh, it's it's a fraction of the uh, benefits you would get in terms of knowledge and the ROI um, in the future. But once again, Ken, it's been an honour um, having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your, your life story with us. And um, i love to your wife, Mary, and your children as well. Thanks
0: for coming. I really yeah, no, appreciate pleasure, you. Man. And as, as always, this is on behalf of Mary and I, so thank yeah. you for having me having us on your podcast means the world to share our story. Thank you so much, Sarah, and have a good day.